This morning, you and I are privileged to worship at a place like Wind Baptist Church where we can sing and study and bring our Bibles in and, and wear our crosses without any fear of persecution. But that's not true everywhere in the world this morning. And today we want to focus on this issue of persecution. Not only is it occurring around the world, but even increasingly as we see signs of it in our own country. The title of this morning's message is Singing at Midnight. Singing at Midnight. Did you know that over the last hundred years, if you took all of the people who have died in war, if you took all of the people who had died in conflicts in, in all the different battles, World War I, World War II, all the genocides, all the places where people have died, and you added all those people together, it would not equal the number of people who have given their life in the name of Christ in the last hundred years. In the last hundred years, a hundred million Christians have been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. You can take the previous martyrs of 19 centuries and add them together. It would not equal a number that size. And today, 200 million Christians live under the threat of persecution that could result in the ending of their life. And how should we respond to that truth, those facts? What can we do? How should we respond as believers ourselves in Christ? It's getting worse. And there's a time coming, I believe, in each of our lives, those of us that know Jesus, that we will experience increasing measures of persecution, even in Arkansas. And that time is coming. Now, it's nothing new. It's getting worse, but it's nothing new. In Acts chapter 16, verse 22, we read about the experience of persecution that happened to Paul and his partner Silas when they were starting churches and preaching the gospel. In Acts 16, verse 22, we read, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now pause there for just a moment. How would you respond at that moment to what was happening? You've been faithful to God. You've been doing what He told you to do. You've shared your faith. You've been bold. And now you've been beaten and stripped and thrown in the prison, and you're in restraints, what would you do next? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I can think of a lot of things I'd be doing, but singing is not one of them. Singing hymns at midnight raises two questions for us today. Here's the first question I want us to explore. Why do Christians have midnight experiences of persecution? Why does persecution happen? And, and what do we need to know most about persecution? Now, the Bible has much to say about it, and we're just going to sort of skim the surface, 
But we need to understand what persecution is and why it happens. Well, first of all, we need to know that the darkness will hurt me if I identify with Jesus. The darkness is a way of describing the fact that we live in a world that is at war. That spiritually there is the kingdom of God that is pressing into the kingdom of darkness. That there's a very real Satan and demons who are determined to stop the forward movement of the kingdom of God. And the moment that you identify with Jesus Christ, you are in the way and you become a target of the enemy. Jesus said in John 15 verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So whatever they did to Jesus, Christians can expect that they will do the same thing to them. We are so identified with him that the enemy does not make a distinction. What he did to Jesus, he will attempt to do to you. And this is happening right now around the world. Just this week, CNN ran a story about persecution in China. And I want you to see this report before we go forward. Take a look. Extraordinary scenes of defiance in the middle of the night. A church congregation barricading themselves in from hundreds of riot police. It's happening in Wenzhou, known as the Jerusalem of China, where for months the government has demolished scores of churches and torn down hundreds of crosses. What the government here is doing is so barbaric. Today we've seen the fundamental symbol of our faith violated and hurts us deep inside our hearts. Chen Jai is a respected church leader in Wenzhou. He says the faithful now live in fear. In this amateur video obtained by CNN and in the Salvation Church security camera footage, police brutally beat the faithful and drag them away. Still, Christians here aren't backing down. For more than two months, they've had people here day and night, 24-7, guarding the gates of this church to stop the Communist Party from coming in and tearing down their cross. I'm going to hold the cross in my arms and protect it, says this man. We didn't steal, we didn't rob, we didn't take drugs. What did we do? Through state media, local authorities say they are targeting all illegal structures. But party documents show that churches are a focus. Church leaders say their crime was to become too numerous, too intimidating for a party long suspicious of the faithful. Recent research shows that there could soon be more Christians than Communist Party members. And in 15 years, more Christians in China than anywhere else. Facts disputed by the party. Chen says that Christians have no interest in politics, but he has a warning. The law enforcers are breaking the law themselves. If they keep doing things this way, there is a saying, those who play with fire will get burned. After violent clashes, Salvation Church members pushed back the police. But they came back with reinforcements several weeks later and stripped the church of its cross. Still, the devout say they won't stop believing here because their faith is too strong. David McKenzie, 
CNN, Wenzhou, China. In the most recent research at Purdue University, we're being told that the population of China is almost 5% Christian now. And you think in a country of 1.3 billion people, well, that, that's not a big number. It is a big number, 5% of 1.3 billion. But Christians always have a greater impact than their numbers. And in Wenzhou, the, the, one of the over 30 provincial areas in China, Christians make up 15% of the city. And so their effect, their influence is, is really great. And over the last eight months in this provincial district, over 300 crosses have been removed from churches. And in some cases, buildings that believers spent years to build have been demolished. And that's happening right now. If it hates Jesus, the darkness will also hate you. Whether it's on a church building in China or a football helmet in Arkansas, the cross is offensive. When you identify with Jesus, the darkness will try to hurt you. Secondly, not only will the darkness hurt you if you identify with Jesus, but the darkness will hate me if I try to be like Jesus. In other words, a lot of times there's not an issue if you just go to church, if you come and hear a sermon or attend a Sunday school class. But if you are serious about following Christ and you want to be like him and become like him, you are even a greater threat to the enemy. One of my favorite verses, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, the Apostle Paul said, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, not might be, but will be persecuted. Now, I love this passage because it speaks of the word godly which I used to think, because preachers said it, and it had to be true, that godly meant godlike. And, and there's some sense of that being true, but the essence of the word for godly, eusabaya, or eusabao in the Greek language, is describing what happens when someone of great importance walks into a room. When someone really important walks into a room, what do we do? We stand. And, and that standing well or standing properly in relationship to someone else of great importance or authority is what eusabiah is. That's what the word godly means. And so the godly person is the person who does life, stands well in the presence of God 24-7. The godly person is a person who has such a sense of the life and presence of God that they conduct their life, what they say, what they do, as if God were actually seeing them. And he is. Now, what Paul tells us in this passage that's so significant is that it's not just the person who is successful at being godly who becomes a target for persecution. It's merely the desire to be godly that makes you a target. The person who just wants to live a godly life is a danger in the eyes of the enemy. On June 1st of this year, we had... 687 in worship on that particular Sunday. It was a good day. We also baptized someone that day. And that evening, we received a report from a mission team that had traveled to Oregon to do construction work. But what you may not have known is on that same Sunday, as you and I were worshiping here with two services, on that same Sunday in northern Nigeria, the Boko Haram 
Islamic militant group attacked a church between services, killing children and adults. One man, 55-year-old Sawatha Wandala, came up to church during second service. Can you imagine coming up here? This is our second service, walking up to the door and seeing someone with machetes killing people. And he saw them grab a boy, a child, slash him with a machete and throw him in a ditch. Sawatha, in an effort to rescue the child, got the child and started down the road. I don't know how far he traveled, but he was headed to Cameroon, a neighboring country where there was a hospital that could treat the child. But he was confronted by six more Islamic militants en route. They took the child from him, beheaded the child, and then beat him to where he is almost dead. And the only reason we know the story is that officials took his report while he was barely hanging on to life in a hospital room. The enemy will not only hate you if you identify with Jesus, but it will try to hurt you if you try to live like Jesus. But there's something else that we need to know about the darkness. The darkness will always react violently when we talk about the cross. The cross always points to our own sin and our inadequacy. The very message of the cross is that you and I are not good enough to make our own way to God. The very message of the cross is that I need a Savior. The very message of the cross condemns me and tells me that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And so when you and I are persecuted because of the cross, it is a violent reaction to that message and to that truth. But as a consequence of that, number three, the darkness will ultimately increase my witness. It's not going to stop the forward movement of the gospel. It's going to propel it. It's going to spread it. It's going to cause more people to hear about the truth. As those men sat in that prison cell and they were singing and praying to God at midnight, the other prisoners, the Bible says, were listening to their testimony. This Friday... September 26th will mark the second anniversary of the imprisonment of Pastor Saeed Abedini. Saeed Abedini traveled to Iran two years ago to work on an orphanage, on a humanitarian mission trip to that country. He was arrested because he was sharing his faith in Jesus Christ. He was sentenced to eight years in prison, and he has been there for two of those eight years. He's missed anniversaries. He's missed his kids' birthdays. He is a citizen of the United States, and he's from Boise, Idaho. And this Friday, 30 different denominations around the world will have prayer vigils for the release of Saeed Abedini. Now, has the arrest of Saeed prevented the message of the cross from being spread in Iran? No. The church is exploding in Iran. Has the message been hindered in any way because Saeed's been arrested? No, because every time his wife is interviewed, every time his friends or attorneys are interviewed, they have an opportunity to share their faith in Jesus Christ. And so the gospel is not hindered by persecution. It often prospers in the face of persecution. But now as you and I think about persecution, its causes, where it comes from, and what's happening in the world today, you and I need to ask another question. And that question is this, when my midnight experience comes, what can I do? You see, we've got to realize that I'm a Christian. I love Jesus, and it's not just because I'm a pastor, it's just because I'm a child of God. And, and many of you do too. You wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't love Jesus Christ, or, or at least identified with him. And it has to cross your mind and my mind, what would happen if that were me? If I was faced with that kind of persecution, what can I do? Well, here's the first thing we learn from Paul 
And that's sing. Sing. That's the surprising part of the story is when they are being persecuted, they're hurting, they're beaten, they're bleeding in a prison cell, they sing. And there's something about singing that has a way of radically reorienting our minds and our hearts to the truth, keeping us focused on the truth. You don't need David Bertishaw to lead you in song at that moment. You need to turn to him and sing. And you and I can do it so freely now, will we do it equally as freely when that moment of darkness comes? I mentioned that over 300 churches had lost their crosses in recent months in Wenzhou, China. I want you to see an unedited cut now from a video that uh, was taken in May of a church as it's losing its cross. Listen carefully to the background. Till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Those believers at a dark moment in their life, brothers and sisters, worshiping just as we do, losing the cross that identifies them with Jesus Christ on top of their church, are singing. Singing. Now, how can they do that? What reason could they have to sing? The Apostle Paul and Peter, in three different passages that I found, Give us at least three reasons that you and I can sing. Here's the first one, Romans 8:35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? We are loved by Jesus, and no one can take that from us. He is faithful to us, and he is passionate about us, and that's the first reason we sing. There's a second reason we see in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, the apostle writes, we are hard-pressed on every side. And then later he says, persecuted, but not abandoned. Not only does Jesus love us as we're being persecuted, but he is there with us. You are never alone at the darkest moment of your life. Don't ever believe the enemy when he tells you that. Jesus is there, and he is with you. And then the third reason we can sing, 
1 Peter 4, verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, he says you are blessed. Why? For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You wouldn't be persecuted if the spirit of God was not in your life, if he was not filling you, using you, shining through you. And we can sing because of this confirmation of the presence of God in our life. So, when my midnight experience comes, what can I do? I can sing. And brother, sister, I don't know what you're facing today, but no matter what the news, no matter what the circumstance, whatever the situation, one of the best things you can do is sing. Sing. There's a second thing that you and I can do that we need to do, and that's to resist fear and shock. You know, it's a, it's a shocking thing sometimes when somebody is nasty to you because you're a follower of Christ. Someone says something ugly to you because of your identification with Jesus, because you're a member of a church, and because you follow him. It can be shocking to you. But in the face of that, in 1 Peter 4.12, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised. Don't be shocked. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. It should never surprise us when people react negatively to Jesus. But we shouldn't be surprised. We also shouldn't be afraid. In Philippians 1, 27 and 28, whatever happens, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now think about that. The gospel of Christ is that When he saved you, your sins were forgiven, and your home changed from this earth to eternity in heaven with him. Now, if I believe that, and if I know that, and if I understand that to be true, what is a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ when I'm being threatened? And here it is. Without being frightened, he says, in any way by those who oppose you. Don't be afraid. Don't tremble. Don't shudder. Don't worry. Because you are safe. Because of the good news of Jesus Christ. Resist fear and shock. The one who promised to take care of you is the same one who was able to defeat death and rise from the grave. And even when your life is threatened, you are safe in him. A third way that you and I need to respond in the face of real live persecution is this. Love every person who lives in darkness. In other words, the people that persecute you need your prayers. The people that persecute you are in moral and spiritual darkness. When they die, they will go to hell. They need your witness. They need you to shine brightly to them the truth of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That is counterintuitive to what you and I want to do. We don't want to pray for them. <laughs> and we certainly don't want to bless them, at least not in a nice way. But Jesus said, bless them, love them, pray for them. Today, Dana Curry is 42 years old. But she spent her 30th birthday in a prison in Afghanistan. You may recall the story of Dana Curry, who was 30 at that time, and Heather Mercer, who was 24. They were aid workers working with oppressed women in a very oppressive Islamic society. They were caught up in the middle of a civil war and American intervention, they were in prison. And while they were in prison, they were occasionally able to get letters out through their Pakistani attorneys. And in one of the letters, just before her birthday, that got to her daddy, Dana wrote these words. We meet in the mornings and evenings every day 
for one or two hours. She and Heather and five other women were in a very small cell. We sing a lot, she said. Does that sound familiar? Heather and I even wrote a song. Pray that we can grow in our love for one another. And then she said this, and this is fascinating. The female guards that come each day to look after us have not been paid in two months. They are hungry. We give them any food we have extra or left over to take to their families. That's how you love your enemies. That's how you love your enemies. And so when you and I are faced with oppression, persecution, and darkness, love every person who lives in that darkness. Then there's a fourth thing you and I need to do. Grow your roots now. Grow your roots now. You say, what are you talking about? Well, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a series of parables that are designed to help his followers understand the unexpected aspects of the kingdom of God. On Sunday night, we've started studying the kingdom of God, and Matthew 13 is going to be part of that eventually. Now, at Jesus' day and time, they understood that when God came and when the kingdom of God came, all the enemies were going to put down and be beat up, put away. And God was going to triumph. You could not say no to the kingdom of God. You couldn't say no to God. And, and what Jesus was describing in, in Matthew 13 is a parable where he says the gospel, the message of the kingdom, is like seed that a farmer broadcasts. In that day and time with broadcast cult, cultivation, they would cast that seed onto the ground and then come till it into the soil later. And so they would spread it like that, just spread the seed. And they said the seed would fall on soil, and the different soils described there represent different types of human hearts, the human condition of the heart. And he says there are some people, in Matthew 13, verse 20, he says, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Man, I love church. I love this church. I love going to Sunday school. I love being part of everything this church is about. He was excited about being part of other Christians. But since he has no root, Jesus said, he lasts only a short time. Something was missing on the inside of this man. He lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Something is missing inside some people who claim to know Jesus. Something that ought to be there, but isn't there. It's the absence of something. And what happens is when persecution comes along, it exposes the fact that this guy is not a Christian. Because there's something missing on the inside. What is it? What is the root that Jesus was talking about? Let me tell you what I believe it is. When a person hears the gospel, they come to understand that this world is not all there is. And that Jesus Christ is unseen, but he is real. And that he came to this world to die for my sins. And had he not paid the price for my sins, and had I not trusted him to save me from my sins, I would have gone to hell. And I would have spent eternity there. But because I trusted Jesus Christ, my eternity is secure. My sins have been forgiven. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And so when persecution comes, if I understand that to be a fact, then I understand that the worst thing that happens to me is not that I die. Because if I die, I'm going to be with him. 
But if I don't believe the gospel, I may say I do, but if I don't really believe that, when that diagnosis comes, and I'm not gonna, I've given a few weeks to live or some crazy thing that happens to human beings all the time, or I'm faced with persecution and someone says, deny Christ or I'm going to behead you, well, then my first instinct at that point without the root inside of me is to protect myself, to keep myself safe. I'll tell you whatever you want me to tell you. I'll sign whatever you want me to sign. But if I know Christ, I'll say, do your worst. <laughs> What's the worst they can do? Take my life? <laughs> you go ahead and take my physical life, but I'm going to go see Jesus. And I'm safe in him. So persecution has a way of dividing us up into those that know him for real and those that don't. Well, how can we grow deeper roots? Even those of us that know Christ, when we read about some of the things happening to our brothers and sisters around the world, it's got to give you an eye pause. We've got to read those descriptions and we've got to say, what if that was me? What if that was my family? What if that was my child? How would I respond? Well, let me suggest two things you can do to grow deeper roots in your life. The first thing is to seek the presence of God every day. Seek the presence of God every day. You say, Pastor, why does that help? I'll tell you why. Because everything we believe about God typically are things that we cannot see with our eyes. I cannot prove to you that God exists. I know he exists. He talks to me. I speak to him. I pray to him. He answers prayer. I know that God exists, but I can't prove to you he exists. And because of that, that daily time alone with God is absolutely vital for you to develop as great a conviction about what you cannot see as you do about what you do see. And your time alone with God, talking to him, seeking him, praising him, praying to him, deepens your own understanding of the life and the presence of God. You are interacting with him, and it's an expression of your own faith. So your time alone with God is absolutely vital. In the absence of that, when something life-threatening comes at you, whether it's persecution or illness, when something life-threatening comes at you, everything is shaken. And you are grossly unprepared. And I'm, I'm not going to tell you that when that moment comes, not to start praying then. It's perfectly okay to start praying then. But I would encourage you as your brother, don't wait till then. Set aside time every day to seek him. I'll tell you something else you can do. If you want to deepen your roots in your life, you and I need to be praying for, interceding for, and acting on behalf of brothers and sisters around the world that are being persecuted. Whether it's writing letters, whether it's simply praying, whether it's making phone calls to elected officials, whatever you and I can do to act on their behalf in terms of social activism or political activism, we should. We should raise our voice where we have the freedom to do so. And there are many organizations that can help you do that. I listed one, I think, on your handout that you can look up that website and see dozens of organizations that are dedicated to that purpose. But why is that important? Because if you and I keep the persecuted church in the center of our praying, if we keep them before us as we pray for them, 
it, it helps us be prepared for when that moment comes in our own life. The writer of Hebrews chapter 13 put it this way. Listen to this. This is astounding. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. You see, your prayer life in prison is very different than it is on the pew. <laughs> and, and if you pray like you're in prison, you're going to pray a lot differently than you do in the pew. And he says, remember those in prison as if you were there. He says, those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. If that was you, your family, your child, how would you pray? And that's how we're called to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. It is not strange when persecution happens to a believer. What we're seeing today in God's Word is that it is strange if it's not happening. If I am not following Him sufficiently to where I'm saying yes to His will for my life, then I am not a threat to the enemy. But if I am following Him and saying yes to His will for my life, doing what He wants me to do, speaking to the people He wants me to speak to, living the way He is calling me to live, then at that point, I'm no longer sitting in the foxhole. I have moved out, and I'm in the thick of it in terms of the spiritual battle that is raging around us at this very moment. This morning, brother or sister in Christ, I want to encourage you. We have brothers and sisters who would give anything for the experience that we are having at this very moment. And for you and I to deepen the root of faith in our own life, I believe that you and I just need to spend time alone with him and say yes to him every day. And that is not too much to ask. And that is not too great a cost to pay. To get up a little earlier and spend time alone with God, seeking his will and praying. And I want to encourage you in that way. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity we're going to have a, a time of response right now in the worship service, and it's an opportunity for you to respond to Jesus Christ. You've heard me share pieces of the gospel and the message. I want you to know that he loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins. Jesus never committed sin, so he is your substitute. And the punishment that your sins deserve, Jesus took your place. And because he loves you, and because of the power of God, he was raised from the dead as proof that sins could be forgiven. The Bible says that that person who recognizes that they can't do life without God, that person who recognizes that if they died in their sin, they would spend eternity away from a God who loves them because their sin is offensive and dark. And when that person comes to that realization that I can't do life without God, I need him. It's called repentance, and we turn from a life without God, and we turn to a life with God. And we put our trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And this morning, if you're prepared to repent like that and come to Christ and put your trust in him and say, Lord, save me, forgive me, guide me the rest of my days, he'll hear that cry. When we stand and sing, there'll be pastors standing at the end of each aisle. They'll be happy to talk with you. They'll share scripture with you. You can read it for yourself. You don't have to take my word for it. And they'll help guide you through this process of trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to worship you now, to open up our hearts to you and sing, and sing. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for that person who's experiencing persecution or who's experiencing a dark moment in their life. I pray that at this moment you would give them such joy knowing that you love them, knowing that you are with them, and knowing that the Spirit of God rests on them. Would you give them voice to sing? And Lord, I pray for each of us as we seek to deepen our roots, that I pray for every man and woman here that knows Jesus, that when they open your scriptures this week and when they spend time alone with you, I pray, Almighty God, that you would bless them and meet with them at that moment and speak to them and hear their cry to know you better. And Father, I pray for that man or woman or boy and girl that needs Jesus this morning. Lord, would you defeat the enemy, set them free. Draw them here. Draw them to yourself so that their life can be changed. We ask it in Christ's name.